0: Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Woke Blokes Podcast. Ryan Hassan here from the Center for Healing, joined by Nick Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you? I'm um, a little bit silly, I suppose. A bit silly.
1: I feel a bit silly a too bit today. A silly? It's a great word, silly. I've... I've- I take clients across to the park and we stand there and yell at trees and tell them to hurry up and grow and uh, <laughs> just uh, help people move into an uh, awareness of how irrational they're being in their yeah. life. And silly is the number one word that comes up. How are you feeling? Silly. This is silly. <laughs> I think it's such a great word. It's just a silly because it's, uh, you know It can be playful, silly, but it can be, oh, that's a bit silly. So it can, it can sort of sway down the either end of the spectrum, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, because sometimes people are quite silly and stupid. It's like, oh, you're being silly and yeah. stupid, but oh, I like yeah. silly. Silly is playful to me.
1: Yeah, same. Well, you can use it in different contexts. So yeah, you can. So to, to today I'm feeling a bit silly.
0: It's silly. There's a guy um, at the, where we're staying at the minute on Samui and we're kind of at the top of a hill and just down the hill here, I pass him every day. There's an old um, Thai man, you know, and uh, he has a, there's like a, a garden patch and he's growing tomatoes and herbs and all, all sorts of stuff. But every time I go past on the bike, he's literally just sitting in one of those fold out like camping chairs, just sitting there, just looking at his garden. This is so beautiful, and he's not. Yeah. I bet you. I bet you. He's. Well, I don't know. I'm not in his head, but I bet you. He's not saying, "Come on, hurry up and grow." He just sit, yeah. I feel like <laughs> oh, I've made this whole story in my head of well, you know, he's had this big hard life and he's worked in you know hard labour, um, and all blah blah <laughs> blah, and now he just sits back in his garden just watching with his dogs no, uh, it's, uh, it's really cool though. I just, I, I get inspired looking at him because he just, he's literally just sitting in a chair, just looking at his garden. Nah,
1: so it's, I have a different story. I, I feel that he's been to the school of stillness, and he's just, um, he's a, a still scholar, and he's just practicing his craft. He's just sitting a there still just scholar.
0: Still. <laughs> yes, the diploma, <laughs> a master's in stillness. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, he's like an older yeah, yeah. Thai version of you, Nick. I can see you doing that when you <laughs> when you get a bit older. Totally,
1: I was just we are uh, we, we put up some temporary fencing for the dogs today, and I was just sitting there just just looking at it earlier, just going, oh,
0: just
1: yeah. And then I thought, imagine if someone walks past there's just this bloke sitting there staring at a fence.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's like that meme of. Um... It's like at a cafe or something, or no, no, it might be on the train, and like everyone's on their phone just staring, and then there's that one bloke, and it's, it's something like, oh, there's always that one freak. Yeah, that's the roller coaster, <laughs> is it?
1: Yeah, it's the <laughs> roller coaster, and everyone's freaking out on the way down. He's just sitting there, very stoic, just like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. um, I posted that when I first came out of the Vipassana retreat. I was like, everyone else, and then me after Vipassana, and I was just, just, because I went to King Island to play golf straight after the Passioner retreat
0: ah. and it
1: was howling and it was a gale and everyone was in suffering. Everyone on the course. Like it was, your scorecards were blown away. It stopped me. Out of the score. It just turned into a matter of survival <laughs> and everyone's like, this is fucked. I just want to go back to the hotel and have a beer and get near the fire because it was cold and wet and like 80 kilometer an hour winds. And, um, and oh, I was just smiling all the way around going, Oh, well, isn't nature amazing? Yeah. I was like, What's the fuck's wrong with you, man?
0: <laughs> yeah. They they so they liken like, oh, it, just... you know, the the awakening experience to like when you're at a party and all of a sudden you sober up, but everyone else is still drunk. And um you just start ah. to see things in a different way. And I remember <laughs> I had that experience even with, you know, I, I love my sport now. Um Still, you know, I still love watching sport and that kind of thing. But I remember after I had my you know, waking up experience, I just thought it was, I thought I just sort saw, saw it as being really silly. Like I started watching like football again and I would start laughing about how serious I used to get about a bunch of men, like mm. trying to get this this football. Yeah, we spoke about sticks. this. But I think we spoke about episode. it. Yeah, yeah. And, um. Yeah, I just, I just saw it as so strange. And that experience changed for me so much just watching sport because I'm like, this why, why, why was I so intense about this before? Like, it doesn't make it <laughs> sense. Or, Does it's
1: funny. It's weird, though. If you go to the footy with three mates, so there's four of you, and, and they're all still drunk to use your metaphor yeah. and you're sober and you're awake, we actually have to... Try and get drunk just to stay connected with those people a little bit. Like yeah. we, we, have to. Um, someone said being woke isn't awesome. It's fucking hard because you going to their their words dumb yourself down to other people's level and just, yeah. just sort of but, stay. I don't like that terminology. I don't like
0: but, that term either because I think because one's not even better than the other. No, exactly. It's just it's, it's, just, diff- it's, it's just a different experience.
1: Totally. But we, we Shane and I played golf yesterday. And yeah. I said I can't wait till Huss is back so I can go and uh, go and tee it up. Um, I'm hanging. I'm hanging. Come on, man. Uh, and so we played. We played the other week, and Shane. had a bit of a club toss. Was oh a yeah. Of a bit of bit of frustration. Bit of bit of lob wedge getting lobbed over that way, and um, and he, he, no club tosses yesterday. And we both played okay. Like a few birdies, few bogeys, whatnot. Um. But he was talking after. He goes, oh, it's like, he... oh, he's talking to Zach about it, the other trainer we got. He's like, it's like Nick didn't even ride the roller coaster. Nick Nick didn't even, didn't have that emotional experience. You know, he, he wasn't, he just cruised around. He, he didn't, yay, when he got a birdie or, oh, when he got a bogey. Yeah. Uh, and I said, oh, I... it's funny you mentioned that because I played golf randomly. You know, sometimes you turn up to a course and you just paired with someone else or whatever. I uh, played golf with this dude and he said the same thing. He goes, mate, it's like you weren't even enjoying it out there. And I was like, that's that's a really interesting observation because I've I've really had a a great time. Mm -hmm. And he said, why? And we sort of chatted about it. And we came to the conclusion, I came to the conclusion that destructive energy is very external and loud and constructive energy is very internal and quiet. Mm -hmm. So... This dude couldn't see my emotions. I was in a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation. I was very present. I was just observing, and I was like, okay, if I hit a bad shot, okay, well that's interesting. I didn't, I wasn't attached to desired outcomes or anything, so I wasn't going into that suffering. So, a lack of suffering. To him, meant that I wasn't enjoying it. I
0: wasn't. I wasn't invested. You weren't in it. externally showing that emotion. Yeah, yeah.
1: But I, I, I just, I, I love just turning up, and if I'm playing bad, I love it when someone's playing good. I love that experience. Like uh, that, uh, you know. And so, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting one. It's sort of like that. I, don't, I can't remember the exact meme, but it's, um, have you, you must have heard it, I reckon, about, um. People think you're insane, but they can't hear the music that you can hear, or something.
0: Okay, Have you heard okay. that one? Yeah, no, no, I haven't. But oh okay. no, it's like
1: people see people. People think you're mad because they can see you dancing, but they can't hear the music.
0: Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm over there doing my thing, just cruising around the golf course. It's very, you know, connected to nature and present and non attached and just having a great old time. But he can't hear my music. So he's looking yes. at me and all confused.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, um, I've been uh, following on YouTube uh, Kyle Berkshire, who's the world long drive champion. And he's trying yeah. to, he's making this. It's really interesting. He's kind of, he wants to become a pro golfer. So he's trying to – he's still doing the long drive, making his transition, but he's um, – Same as that Jamie Sadowski dude. Right, okay, okay. But yeah. I, was, I was listening to one of his because he does like vlogs of, of, you know, him playing nine or 18 oh, holes. Yeah. And he was saying um, that he played around with Justin Thomas the week before. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Justin Thomas, I think he's probably top five in the world um, on the PGA Tour. And they were just playing around somewhere. And at the end of the round, Kyle was like, you just shot eight under. You just shot a 64. And he had, and Justin Thomas had no idea. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. cool. Like, there's no attachment. Now, obviously, in tournament play, you probably got to keep an eye on the leaderboard and that kind of thing. But it made me think that the, the day that I had my best ever round, um, I did the same thing. My friend who I was playing with we're um, playing with some other random guy, he was scoring but I was just sort of at the end of the hole. See, so yeah, I had that. And but I would had no idea what I was scoring. And then we we're sitting down having our coffee afterwards. He goes, Mate, you should have 76. And I was like, Oh, did I? And so that I, it was so weird. It's like it's, it's that non attachment, you know, because I that many times I'd play golf and you get like, you know, there might be four holes to go. And you're like, If I pop par these last four, I'm going to mm-hmm. get this score. And then all of a sudden the yeah. body tenses up. <laughs> and you stop being present. Shame exactly. Did in
1: cricket the other day. And it's it's a it's such a great example of um, it, it's it's what's the word it's not binary what's the where well, there's there's no opposites everything is the same
0: what's that? Non, non, non-dual non-dualistic non,
1: yeah non, non-dualistic or whatever yeah. so we're mindless but we're mindful at the same time mm-hmm. so we're, we're not in our thoughts but we're very present so we're very mindful but we're mindless as well
0: yep so oh, we, yeah. we have
1: no awareness of what's going on. Like, and Shane said he's, he's been playing really good cricket lately, hasn't gone out for like six weeks, and then his ego popped up. And ego is the one that creates all this attachment. Ego is what craves. And, uh, and so he saw this, this 16-year-old and the ego popped up. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to send him over the fence. And yep. bang, bold, bold metal stump. And it's <laughs> just like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> yeah, he, stopped, he stopped being present, stopped doing what he was doing for the last six weeks, which was just going out there and taking the ball at a time.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. And yeah, no, I was, um my, my favorite uh, batsman to watch was Brian Lara as a kid. I, I just love watching him bat him. And there was those times where he'd get in and you listened to all the great um, McGrath and Warren and um, bowls from other countries as well. And I would always say, like, if you got a Brian Lara, who was in, and he would describe it as a state of not not thinking yeah. at all, and they would say you could yeah. not bowl to him anywhere because he just he was in that that flow state. You know, you couldn't. Ricky
1: Ponting would do the same as well. It's like you, you, no matter where you bowl it, where you pitched it, he was just he was so in the zone. He was like liquid at the other end, and he just yeah. all of a sudden he'd just be there, and the ball was there. And it was imagine <laughs> you know, how frustrating be as a bowler when someone's in that flow state.
0: Yeah, I remember what, what Lara would do. He'd, he'd play these shots, you know, and hit boundaries, and they'd put a fielder there, and the next ball he'd hit it where that fielder was. Yeah, <laughs> just to rub a bit of salt into the
1: wound, you know. That's in full control, and yeah. no, that's the thing. So there's a difference between So many people think they're in control, but it's actually uh, the majority of the time. That's an anxiety based. Behavior—it's—it's a—it's a, it's a clinging. I'm holding on to this thing, and I think I'm in control. I feel in control, mm-hmm. but you're not actually in control. Because if you're truly in control, you've got the freedom to let go and to go and do what you want. So, being in that flow, non-attached, hyper present, almost state is in when you're in full control because you just. All right, I'm just here and there, and I'm just letting go, and I'm just trusting that. Yeah, it's a.
0: It's, a, I've it's done the it's the control times. paradox, isn't it? It's the control yeah. paradox. The more the more I'm trying to control, the more out of control I feel. But the more I let go of control, the more I feel in control. It's just, it's it's well, it's, a, it's it's
1: getting so on a cognitive level. It's we're talking remind fit about getting distorted at your distortions. So you'll get anxious about something and then you'll become aware that you're anxious. So then you'll get more anxious that you're anxious and you just deepen this state of feeling anxious and living in fear. Yeah. But chatting with a client the other day, you can have the converse effect as well. If, if you're feeling really calm and you come into awareness that you're calm, that'll deepen your sense of calmness. Yeah. So, whatever we're feeling, if we when we become aware of it, it's just usually gonna yep. deepen that state for we, us. We have
0: a very, very similar philosophy, yeah. We talk about um, yeah, very similar thing. Ones, um, we, we get stuck in the in the loop, the destructive loops. So, it's like, yeah, if I'm if I'm a guy and I'm angry, or if I'm scared, or, or I'm sad, then I'll get. Angry that I'm sad or I'll get sad that I'm sad and I'm just like circling and circling and circling and I'm starting to marinate in it. But like you said, you can do it the other way as well. One of the things that we teach um, is, is resourcing. So finding a place of calm whether that's in the, in the body, whether that's in a memory or a place or whether that's in an imagined place, we can find that state of calm in us and then start to work with that and cultivate it, you know, and start to have that grow and then we become more familiar with the feeling of calm because some people I'm Mm. sure you see as well, the clients um, that I work with haven't really felt completely calm and relaxed for years, maybe decades. Which is a long time. Which is a of, long time to not feel calm and relaxed.
1: Oh, completely. It reminded me of a client. I think I've spoken about her before, but she she's doing all this work about letting go of her attachments and you know using a more logical and rational mind and just allowing things to be, staying in the reality of what is. And she came into a session, and I'm like, "How are you?" And she's like, oh, "I think I'm bored." And she was mistaking bored for being a piece because she'd never experienced peace so she she didn't know how to term it or label it or describe it yeah so um have you seen the, the wheel of emotions that's uh, a poster
0: you can get yeah you i think you've showed me you've got one there at MindFit, don't yeah. you? yeah
1: we got the cushion the other day i, I saw it comes on oh, a cushion really. now so i've chucked the cushion on the couch yeah and um now when clients come in we've got a, a rule that um, they're not allowed to say the word good. So when I, when I say, how are you, if they say good, they've got to do 10 push-ups on the spot. And 10
0: push-ups, this goes back to your yeah. military background. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, 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 it's blending Fair. it all.
0: Yeah. And um,
1: and and it works. It's really bloody effective. <laughs> uh, but the same as they forget to bring their, their notepad and pen, 10 push-ups. It was funny, I was a pregnant... Uh, client so she couldn't do the push ups so she had to pass them on to her husband who was also doing a program. So head walking, I'm like, do ten push ups. He's like, but I've got everything. I haven't even said good. I'm like, Yeah, but your missus was in yesterday and she forgot hers. <laughs> uh, and that was that acted as a really good source of stimulus. So it was also, you know, is he going to react to this or is he yeah. just going to go into acceptance? So yeah. Um, yeah, so we've got these these all these emotions on this cushion and and uh, it's amazing how people don't know how they're feeling. Like Mm. and I say to everyone out there, you know, socially, no one really cares how you're feeling. It's just a, you know, just a greeting basically. It's, hey, how are you? Um, and, and you're socially obligated just to say good. If you said, oh, I'm feeling rather distorted right now, people would just be like, oh, well, yeah, 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 Don't get deep on me. Yeah. They just, they just want to hear good. Yep, cool. And then we can keep going. Even if you
0: went the other way and said, I'm fucking amazing. I'm incredible. They'd be like, whoa, settle down, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do that sometimes. I, I say I'm yeah. super fantastic. and am what. Like, what? Anyway, so... When someone says "good," it doesn't give us anything to work with. It's like it's like a beige bit of canvas. Yeah, there's no context. There's no colour. There's no depth. There's no substance. Um, so now they're having to give it a very mindful and deliberate response. They have to stop. They have to check in with themselves. Mm-hmm. How am I feeling? Which one of these words resonates with that feeling? Oh, I didn't even know that I felt flabbergasted. Right? Oh, okay, I'm feeling flabbergasted. Awesome, and that just kicks off our whole session now. Oh, what are you flabbergasted about? What, what, yeah. Oh, well, listen, and why are you flabbergasted? So, it's a really cool intro into a session, but it's great for them because they start learning how to name what they're experiencing.
0: Yeah, it's 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 uh, cultivating emotional intelligence and emotional awareness. You know, because oftentimes when we when you start on that process, where people only notice the extremes, so like they'll know if someone really pisses them off, they'll notice that they're emotional or, you know, someone really makes them sad, they notice they're emotional. So I think that there are, they have these emotions, you know, 2% of the time. But the more you go into this work, you realize we're always feeling something, like yeah. always. It's a, and, and it can be more subtle and to different degrees, but we're always feeling something. So it's like this, this constant kind of check-in with how am I actually feeling? It's a great good way to start yeah. the day.
1: Totally. Uh, but then we can decide, am I choosing to feel this way or, or have I been triggered and have I just ended up reactively in this space? Oh, yeah, okay, I didn't choose to feel this. What would I rather choose? That would I have to let go? Up? So they can all of a sudden, yeah, and, and you're right, it's all based, which is what we're specializing in, is, is developing people's emotional intelligence and self-awareness is the first step in that. So you can't change anything until you're aware of it all right, I'm aware of it, and now self-management is the second one in IQ, right, okay, now I can actually start to self-manage and self-regulate my emotions and start shifting into a different part of the spectrum. And it's so important for people to realize that mental health is just a spectrum of emotions where we need to experience all of them. It just becomes problematic when we're, you know, the word you used before, marinating, um mm. in the unpleasant end of it. We, we I had a client the other day, he goes, oh, I, I want to get rid of my anger. I said, no, <laughs> so anger is necessary. We, we need anger. It's just, it just becomes problematic when you're experiencing it too much. And you don't even, you know, he came in thinking he had anger issues. And he goes, I, I get angry. I said, no, I, I think there's a difference Anger, I don't think, is a mood more than a feeling. I think we feel frustrated. We feel agitated. But that creates a mood or a sense of being angry. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Or um, yeah, I
0: agree. I, I think anger, um, the way most people use it is a it's a secondary emotion. So it's a defense mechanism. Um, are you thinking
1: of Tina Turner right now?
0: No, I wasn't actually. What did it's I say? What's anger got to do with it? It's 2nd ah, emotion. <laughs> What's anger got to do? Got to do with it? Um, so it's a secondary emotion. So normally, anger is a uh, a bodyguard for sadness or hurt. You know, yeah. so oftentimes with people all who have got this anger, you know, in inverted commas, issues. I'll say, well, what are you what are you actually sad about? What are you hurt about? Mm-hmm. Because normally, mm-hmm. a- when we've got anger problems, we've got this deep hurt and sadness inside. That, especially women as well, but especially as men, um, the anger just just comes to the surface because anger is an easy one for us. Because you know, it's 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 seen as this masculine emotion. We saw it growing up normally with with males and that kind of thing. So it's it's a much easier place to go to than sadness or hurt. So the anger sort of stands bodyguard over the the sadness and hurt. So I yeah, often try and do a little bit of digging, but like you said, we don't want to get rid of anger. Like we need anger. Um, it's a human emotion and we have it for a certain reason to let us know that our boundaries yeah. are being crossed.
1: And it's, it's like
0: anxiety is a bodyguard for being afraid. Yep. Or,
1: or being hurt. It's it's like I'm going to keep you safe. My the the anxiety that I was experiencing many moons ago was keeping me safe, preventing me from leaving the house. So it was, it was my bodyguard. spoken spoke about that heaps. So yeah, I think it's it's great for people to come into this understanding. Right, we've got all these emotions. Some feel pleasant. Some feel unpleasant. They all vary to different degrees. As humans, it's really important and healthy for us to experience all of them from, at times. But, you know, so the unpleasant ones mm-hmm. were anger, guilt, depression, anxiety. In MindFit, we term them as suffering, those mm-hmm. four. Uh, we, we, suffering. And, and, yeah, so we say there's necessary suffering and unnecessary suffering, and it becomes unnecessary when you just compound it or, you know, when, when yep. someone dies. And... Yeah, obviously we're going to feel sad and and a various array of emotions, but as soon as we go, it's not fair, then that's when it becomes unnecessary suffering. Yeah, that makes complete. Because sense. a sense a sense of fairness is a cognitive distortion. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We would say it's 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 a similar thing. It's like goes from this, it's just an emotion, and then it becomes a state that we're in, mm-hmm. and then if we if we maintain that for long enough, it becomes a trait. And you know, this is when yep. people come and you know they'll they'll just say you know, well, I've, I've always been an angry person, or this is part of my personality, or you know, I, <laughs> I did I, 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 I did a personality quiz online, and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm this quadrant of the personality type and that kind of thing, and it's like I'm a Capricorn. I'm yeah, yeah. Well, what's that meme? It's like, no, Susan, you didn't do it because you're a Capricorn, because you're a cunt. Stop (laughs) blaming it on your star sign.
1: Um, Mars is in retrograde this week, so...
0: No, fucking Mercury's always in retrograde, it seems. I've got something (laughs) every week going on. Can you feel the energy of it in retrograde? I'm like, when's it not in retrograde? Um, What's the opposite of retrograde? I don't know. Gatorade.
1: (laughs) I was thinking Gatorade,
0: too. Oh, yeah? Oh, Oh, shit. Um... Uh, what were we on? Yeah, so we go from this like um, this 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 temporary emotion that we don't have the awareness and we don't have the tools and everything to be able to work through, and so it becomes a state. So it's like this this uh, frustration. You know, the, the may that could have been hung around for half an hour and we could have worked through it, then all of a sudden sticks with us for days and we're just stewing in this anger for days and then it keeps going. So think,
1: while you're talking, think about, listeners, just think about the neurological pathway in your mind and it can go up or it can go down. It's like a, a fork. And what's happening is that this this protein is travelling down the bottom fork and then around back looping back around on itself. So it's just deepening and ingraining. It's like you know um, going into the park and seeing all this wildlife just walking down this track. It's gonna it's gonna make it more clear and apparent that there's traffic going down that pathway. So yeah, that's where we feel it the first time. But if we keep doing it, as I said, it becomes um a state and for us it's like a, yeah it's more like a mood so the the feeling of fear becomes a mood of anxiety or a state of anxiety and then when you keep doing what you're doing because that's all you know how to do then it becomes a pattern or a behavior or a, you know, yep.
0: Yeah, it does, and so, then, then you create the story. So you've got the the feeling, and then the story that validates the feeling, and they keep looping on each other as well. And then, and um, as Ram Dust
1: says, then then, then you um, uh, then you what's he what's he say something about then you your ego starts resonating with it, and you fall into that's my role. My role is mm. I I, am anxi- I have anxiety.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you'll, you know, you'll read an article that says, um, you know, even an article like I, uh, uh, Melissa had a client the other day, she was saying, and basically her her doctor or whatever just said, um, yeah, you're you're stuffed for life and got to be on meds for your whole life. And so now that just, that just adds to the story of this, oh, there's some, I've got some, something inherently biologically wrong with me and um, that the story gets deeply, more deeply embedded.
1: We had a client and he was hell-bent on trying to make me say that he had a chemical imbalance because he'd heard it from a psychiatrist, I think, that Mm -hmm. he's got a chemical imbalance. So he just was deep in this attachment to his label of he has a chemical imbalance. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to explain to him that your beliefs create your thoughts, they create your feelings. So there's The kind of thoughts you have create a chemical reaction that creates a a sensation, a feeling. So, if you've got a chemical imbalance, what is an imbalance? Like, what is is all the chemicals over this side of your brain instead of (laughs) this side of your brain? Like, what's the chemical imbalance?
0: Yeah. So, it's, um, yeah, before we get into this, Nick and I both aren't doctors, so don't take um, any medical advice. I'm a
1: gynaecologist, but I'll, I... <laughs> what's, that, what's that T-shirt? I'm not a gynaecologist, but I'll take a look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so it's, oh, I have you? It's terrible. I reckon shortcut. that. Remember that dude that I said, um, the milk hunter? Yeah, he, hunter? Exactly. Oh, <laughs> he would
0: have had that shirt on, <laughs> and he'd have a mullet. Oh, mate, that, that's hilarious. Um, yeah. If I, if I walked down the streets of Melbourne or some major city and I was doing a random survey and I stopped people in the street and asked them, hey, what causes depression or mental illness? Nine out of 10 of them would say it's a chemical imbalance in the brain, right? Yeah. A- and, yeah. even, and even a select few of those would even go as far as to saying it's actually it's a lack of serotonin in the brain. Okay, so Mm. that's specifically, that's that's the neurotransmitter because most antidepressants are SSRIs, Mm. which are selective uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, um, which means there's a lack of serotonin in the brain. So if we add more serotonin in the brain, it'll rectify it, even calling them antidepressants. It's like, oh, I've got depression. This is an antidepressant. Now, there has never, ever, 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 been any recorded science that shows that there's a lack of serotonin in people with depression you there's actually not a test that can be formed in a live human being to to test their neurotransmitter activity right it's actually impossible Uh, Um, do you mean
1: that the pharmaceutical industry (laughs) is making heaps of money up no
0: Oh, well, they, they, they allocate... Some of the bigger ones allocate over a billion dollars a year just to fight lawsuits um, because people have... Why
1: would they do that,
0: though? Oh, just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, so look, that's it's so interesting that it's never... And even... It, mainstream psychiatry came out in the late 90s and early 2000s and even said the chemical imbalance hypothesis. So that's what it's called. It's called the chemical imbalance hypothesis because it was just an idea, right? And mainstream psychiatry, like I'm talking like the head of the APA, American Psychiatric Association, come out and said no serious psychiatrist ever truly, you know, took seriously the chemical imbalance hypothesis yet. If I stopped not um, people in the street, nine out of ten, and tell me it was a chemical imbalance, and it's like, well, why is that? And it's because there's a lot. What would lot you of, say it is? What would I say? What is?
1: If you, if you, if you, stopped yourself in the street, <laughs> said, "Hey," and surveyed yourself, okay. maybe I'll do that. <laughs> hey, hey, mate, what's depression?
0: What would your answer be? Well, it'd be a much longer answer than that. I'm like, <laughs> it's a number of factors. It's a human with unmet needs. It's a human who has. You know, uh, suffered from trauma. It is a human that is not feeling socially connected and not feeling connected to themselves. But by, at the end of the day, it's a human with unmet needs, um, which is manifesting in this uh, manifesting in this depression, or it can manifest as an anxiety, it can manifest as addiction, it can manifest as borderline personality. You know, put whatever label you want to put on it, and um, and that's not to say. Um, medication doesn't have its place in acute situations but these things were never designed to be taken long term because the long-term effects um are way worse than the issue that they're so, trying hey, to address in the first place
1: so if, if depression is unmet needs and then you well that uh, could be one of
0: Yeah, but then you are given
1: medication and put on this for life because you have a chemical imbalance. You then become codependent on that medication. So then you don't actually learn how to meet your own knees and become emotionally self-sufficient that's
0: and, and this here. it this, it ties into our our as a society our need for a quick fix like I, I, I wish antidepressants did what they said they did like I wish you could take a pill and your depression <laughs> would go away like it like it's great but it's just it's, it's it's instant gratification it's just wanting this thing to be like bang gone straight away why what do you wish why do I wish
1: that's Antidepressants worked
0: um, because then people who were uh, deeply depressed wouldn't be depressed anymore. But it's just it's it's like so, it's, it's a hypothetical that would never happen. I'm just saying. I know. You know,
1: but they wouldn't learn anything of value. Correct. And this this is this is exactly why I changed my business model, because when I was state of mind health, people had come to me, and using hypnotherapy and whatnot, I'd do a lot of waving of the magic wand and suggestions and all this sort of stuff and they'd leave feeling lighter and better and amazing but next time life happens they'd come back and nick i'm depressed again where's your magic wand oh here it is you know got another one off ebay all right yeah, we're good to go and uh, i just realized after many years i was just enabling them to stay in that circle so it was just, now with MindFit, we're actually teaching them and giving them these tools and resources. And the second fundamental is needs, basic human needs. So we're teaching what their needs are and how to meet their own needs instead sort of outsourcing their happiness and then getting really, really sad because it's unfair that this didn't happen and then getting depressed about it.
0: Yeah, it's because That's- that can also and you I'm this is one of the reasons I'm sure you changed your business, because it just creates this um session dependence as well. Because it's like yeah, you have a, a fish in a toxic fishbowl. And it's full of toxins and it's, you know, not not doing too well in that fishbowl. And then it jumps out of the fishbowl and goes to see you or me or whoever for a session. And like you said, you wave the wand, you do a bit of work and all of a sudden some of these toxins start coming out of their, their body. And they're like, Oh fuck, I feel really good. That was fantastic. But then they go back into the toxic fishbowl. And then what happens? That's like getting the toxins accumulated again. Like sure. I need to jump out and see Nick or Ryan again, then back in and back and back. And there's no, there's no long-term, results there, um, it just it means we keep having to see people for years and years and years um, without making really true progress. So yeah, it's so important to arm people with the tools, but also have make sure they're looking at their environment at the same time. It's a lifestyle. Well, listen,
1: yeah. This is why we structure um, our programs in a certain way, because we don't want to create that codependency. Um, I've got a client who's gone from weekly to fortnightly, and he messaged me and said, Nick, I need a session You know, this week. Not, I can't wait till next week and blah, blah, And I just sent him a text back saying, mate, just check in whether it's unnecessary or necessary suffering. If it's necessary, let it in and then let it out. If it's unnecessary, find the distortions, find the irrational beliefs that are creating it and see what you can do with it. Call me tomorrow if you're still struggling. Yeah. Didn't hear from him until the next session he goes, that was awesome. Thank you so much because I panicked and and went looking for my crutch and yeah. and, and you went. I'm not going to be there for you. I'm not going to allow you. I'm not going to create a codependent relationship with you. And so I said I, I I hated you at the time, but I really really appreciated what you did for me. Yep. And I said basically I trusted you and and I, I unspokenly told you to trust yourself.
0: Yep. Yeah. 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 That's so. That's that's really beautiful actually. It's amazing um, (laughs) because people don't understand that we can, you know, self-manage a lot more than we think because it's that initial, you know, things are getting, I get overwhelmed and then it's like, bang, I've got to go to my crutch. And like you said, that can be, you know, I need to book in for a session and not just alcohol or, you know, junk food or or antidepressants. Antidepressants. Yeah. And so the thing is antidepressants then, of uh, a difficult process to come off you know at at the center we probably two-thirds to three-quarters of people who came in were on antidepressants or antipsychotics and um you can't just come off them cold turkey you can some -hmm. people did but it's you really shouldn't it needs to be done you know weaned off very very slowly because um, yeah Because you know we're we're talking about if you stop in cold turkey, like they call them side effects, but they should just call them effects. I hate the word side effects. (laughs) These are the side effects. No, they're just they're all
1: effects. (laughs) Listen, this this is this is a side effect of your chemical imbalance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, that's nothing in that sentence makes sense.
0: Yeah, they um. The the kind of final nail in the coffin with that hypothesis, even though the marketing has been so good that people still believe it, was that they would do um, autopsies on people's brains. So without – I'll try and explain this because most people will be listening – <clears throat> neurotransmitter is uh, a chemical in the, in the brain. So we're talking about serotonin. And so in between there's two neurons. And so new, different neurotransmitters travel in between the neurons and that space in between the uh, neurons.
1: So they're, they're, tra- they're transmitting messages they're tra- from one neuron to the other.
0: That's right. And so yeah. there's a presynaptic cleft clef and a post-synaptic clef, which is the end of these neurons. And then there's the, uh, the gap in between them is the synaptic gap. Basically.
1: Let, let, let's turn it into a metaphor. So there's like a river and on mm-hmm. one side of the river, there's a trans, L- the transmit is a raft that goes across the river. Okay.
0: Yep. And so, and there's fer- Ferrying. Yeah, and and so either side of the river, there's docks that these boats yes. can dock at, and and they are called receptors, receptor sites. Yeah. And so what happens when I start to take something that increases serotonin? So an SSRI, what it does, it blocks serotonin receptors, so it blocks up those docks. So the serotonin boat just gets sort of stuck in the river, kind so of thing. So un- the union
1: dock. comes along. The, the union comes along and shuts <laughs> down the dock.
0: Yeah, so can't. So the serotonin can't dock. So what happens, there's a whole bunch of serotonin boats in the river that can't dock. So this is oh the God. idea that now I have more serotonin floating in my brain. Now, because our, our body, uh, which our brain is a part of, is so smart and is always trying to seek homeostasis, it starts to uh, cut off. Balance. The
1: balance for those. Balance. Familiar with that word.
0: So it, so it starts to cut those receptor sites for serotonin. So it essentially uh, uninstalls those docks. Because it's like I've got so much serotonin floating in the brain I have too much I need to start removing the receptors or the docks um, to, to create some sort of balance again okay
1: So it's like a, it's like a, it's like the otters have come in and dammed the river and all this serotonin is just, is yeah. just
0: building and building yeah so, I love otters, Cause otters the, are such a great creature by the way uh, they're cool
1: <laughs> so the, the docks, the docks are closed from the bloody Union mob, and then the otters yep. have come in and dammed the river as well. So it's just all a yep. perfect storm. It's all blocking. Nothing is moving. It's all building and building. And so yep. you gotta you got to clean it out somehow.
0: Yeah, and so what happens, they're not just closed, the docks, but the serotonin docks, are they're gone. They've been uninstalled. Yeah, they've pulled down. Yeah. They've pulled down. Dangerous down, worksite. Right? And so what happened, because I said you can't measure neurotransmitter activity in a live human being, you can measure, you can check receptor sites on someone who's just died. So there'd Mm. be people who would have donated their their body after they died to science. And so um, they would do autopsies on patients who had had depression, clinical depression. And when they checked their brain, they'd be like, oh, there's much less receptor sites for serotonin on the neurons in their brain. So this is this proves the fact that there's a lack you know the problem is a lack of serotonin in the brain right but what they'd done all these autopsies they were done on people that yes they had depression but they'd also been on medication um, SSRI medication so they said okay we need to actually do autopsies on patients who have been diagnosed with clinical depression but have never taken SSRI medication and when they looked at their brains they had the exact same Amount of serotonin, receptor sites, or DOCs as a normal, healthy human being would have. Okay. So, this is when sci- we we're starting to find out that, you know, the problem that a lot of these drugs were supposedly trying to fix is actually causing more of the problem in the long term. And this happened as well with medication for dopamine in schizophrenics, the exact same thing. So, it's, um, you know, it's interesting that this was about 20 years ago that we found all this out, yet the idea is still very prevalent um, in society because we just we want, we want a diagnosis and we want a quick fix. And that is, um, that is our culture that we live in. That is our, our, our culture. I need to buy this now. I need to go and have this experience now. And it's this immediate gratification as opposed to delayed gratification that gets us into so much trouble.
1: And that's all the ego. Oh, well done, Dr. Ryan. It was, it was really... <laughs> I'm well not a doctor. Uh... No, no. I'm not a doctor. And like I said... Hi, everybody. If, Hi, Dr. Nick.
0: If like people who are listening to this who are taking antidepressants might get a bit triggered and I'm like, oh, whatever you do, don't fucking stop taking them. Have a discussion with your doc, Dave. It's something that you're interested in looking at. Because that's what we do. We,
1: when someone comes in and they're, they're on medication and usually there's no plan for it. It's just, here go on medication. Mm-hmm. I always say, can I link in with your GP and your psychiatrist to work so we as your support network can work together um, and to, to set a goal to see if it's possible for you to come off this medication through um, you know, cognitive retraining and, and healing and all that sort of stuff. Is there the need for you? If we can straighten your mind out, do you still need to stick those? Can we call this um, podcast, What's Love Got To Do With It? Because the, the, the antidepressants are like a second-hand emotion. It's just, I've just got Tina Turner singing the whole time now.
0: I'll find a picture of Tina Turner for the, for the yes. thumbnail. Yes. See perhaps. if Shane will be happy with that one. <laughs>
1: I'm imagining him driving along right now. I'm just getting so triggered. <laughs> how, how is your dearest um, partner? In crime, how is Mel? She, oh she's no, she's well, good. Though?
0: Yeah, to give a bit of context for those listening, um, <laughs> Mel was uh, a crook for a, a week and a bit, and so I was trying to juggle so many things. Anyway,
1: you turned into you turned into James Blunt.
0: I <laughs> I um <laughs> I got very blunt. I get very blunt. I do. Um, and I I created the you know, did the editing of the show and sent the um thumbnail to Nick to, to post. Anyway, our good friend Shane, you know, said, Look, is Ryan not even trying anymore? Like, what's it <laughs> called? The, the last episode, the random show, and this this picture. And I was He's like, well, giving he can. Up. I was like, he can fucking do it <laughs> I'm trying to juggle a sick partner, a two-year-old running a business. Just give me a break, Shane. All right. That was awesome. Um uh. so yeah, so it's 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 an interesting topic. It's a very interesting topic. It's, um,
1: but it's important as well because there's so so much misinformation, but there's such a lack of education. As well, we've well. spoken
0: about it before. Like, did you see um, we we had Christine Morgan on the show, yes. who's the CEO of the Mental Health Commission, and they undertook a you know this big royal commission into the mental health care system, and I, I posted on our our Facebook page the other day. Um, from the abc saying that the results are in and it's an absolute fucking disaster the way that we've been treating mental (laughs) health it's like oh right i'm like for those of us who have been in the system and also work in the industry it's like surprise surprise motherfuckers like we know shit like we know we know so you know and 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 up until this point you know i know you've spoken you even asked christine when we were on the show nick it's like is Just medication and a mental health care plan, you know, is this going to be the way moving forward? And clearly it's not. So it's, um, I'm interested to see where it goes, because right now it's like, it's taken so long to finally admit, yes, it's a bloody disaster what we've been doing. But now it's like, you know, what do we do from here? And that doesn't, it doesn't mean that medication and and standard mental health care plans just get removed it just means no. you know we need a massive that's right don't, throw the, don't throw the baby
1: out with the bathwater and, and we're not looking to blame anyone say it's it's you know you don't want to get into destructive thinking about it mm-hmm. but it's just an acknowledgement that the system's not working no system's perfect so everyone's doing the best they can yeah. but we can always look to improve and get better so uh, we might extend another invite out to Christine and see if she wants to come back on the podcast to talk about it now that the, the verdict's in.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I would um, I would love that. I'd love to speak to her about that. I had someone email me like they're, they're doing some you know applications where you can sit on a committee in your local area and talk about solutions. But even I read like the application form and everything and the whole thing just my whole body constricts it just, it just starts to shut down.
1: Mine's constricting just listening to you talk about. It. I'm just, I'm just picturing all the red tape and all the, all the toxicity in there and all the oh, even even the application form farm.
0: was red tape. I'm like, oh no. my god. So, um yeah so look it's i mean the admission of something not working is the first step but it's going to be what's going to happen moving forward which is going to be which is going to be really interesting because you know we've known for years now that there needs to be um change afoot and um you know i i I hope that uh happens and i hope we can start to move away i think a lot of it has to do with a you know even just having a, a diagnosis model you know there's a I'll read this uh, – I'm reading a fair bit on polyvagal theory with Stephen Porges at the minute, and, um, which uh, is, is really, really interesting. But he, there was a quote in his book. If you can just talk for a second, Nick, while I find it.
1: Say it again because it, it, um, it just went a bit uh, glitchy. You, you, you sound an awesome guy to hang out with. You know how to party. What are you reading?
0: I'm reading um, a lot about polyvagal theory. By Stephen Porges. Um, yeah,
1: there it is. Polyvagal theory. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. So can't wait to really... bump
1: into you at in a party. What do you yeah. have to these days, mate? A bit of polyvagal theory. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: Are they new bands?
1: No, no. It's just polyvagal theory. Well, it's very important.
0: It's very important. Um, I also just finished a book on the history of how we've treated people who are uh, insane or have schizophrenia from the seventeen hundreds up until now. That's the we'll, we'll talk about that on another show. It's so disturbing. Was, um, was there
1: a chapter of burning them at the stake, or
0: um, basically, like it doesn't go that far back, but it's. Um, Yeah, I'll read. Let me read this out first, and then I'll talk about that, Um, because this is the whole, you know, diagnosis model that we're stuck in at the minute. You know, which is how psychiatry and and a lot of psychology tends to work. So Stephen Porges, in his book, just says, there has long been an assumption: if you give the disorder a name, it will lead to improved treatment and will provide better understanding of the disorder. However, it appears that diagnosis, especially within the area of mental health, have had a greater impact on the finances of clinicians than on understanding the mechanisms underlying the disorder that would lead to improved treatment. In general, diagnostic labels provide the clinician with the ability to use certain billing codes required by insurance, although labelling psychiatric disorders has had little impact on understanding the neurophysiological mechanisms." is king baby yeah it is it is it's um it's it's that's that's follow the paper trail you know um back mm-hmm. to how the, the history of how we've treated the people with who are mentally ill yeah so literally you said burning at the stake um it was literally they would torture people early on in the asylums because the theory was that what separated Man from beast was the fact that we could reason. So those that weren't reasoning properly were closer to um, barbaric animals. And so if, I, if we put them in cages and, and physically tortured them, um then we w- that would help them distract them from the, the the pain in the mind so people were put in cages and there was all these that there was there seriously like torture devices and like you know putting them in what was called these you know water boards and all this kind of rubbish and then it, it evolved it was so funny because then you know maybe a hundred years later it was like the opposite where they said they're too intelligent for their own good so they're too creative And so this was, this started the whole idea of electroshock therapy, frontal lobe lobotomy um, where we would stick an ice pick through people's eye sockets and separate the connections between their frontal lobes and the rest of their brain um, because they were too uh, creative and intelligent for their own good. And that was what was causing all their pain. And then once that was seen as the wrong thing, then medications were introduced, which were basically medical lobotomies in some, some sense. And, you know, speaking about science like i love science as much as the next person but i I, we've got to understand that science ain't always very correct and what we think is correct at the time turns out to be absolutely ludicrous later on because, because frontal lobe lobotomy at the time in about the 1950s was seen as the gold standard not not just treatment but cure for mental illness um,
1: but science's yeah. whole thing is to continue to disprove itself, which is so weird. It's like it's like um, meteorology—you can be so wrong, and, and that's okay. Like it's mm. it's it's, and th- that's why we use stoicism and Buddhist philosophy because it's been around two and a half thousand years. It's not the latest science, like all that stuff there that you're just speaking—it's it's incredible because it just to me all it signifies is how in a literal sense, ignorant people are. We just, we don't, none of us have any fucking clue really. So everyone's just guessing. It's just, oh, I'm going to guess and stick a fucking ice pick through your eye. Yeah. It's oh, no, let's guess and burn someone at the stake. No, oh, let's guess. Like my dad, uh, my biological father had, um, uh, was, uh, finally diagnosed with bipolar. That's so manic depression back then. Yep. And, yeah, you know, self-medicating for many, many years, finally got uh, uh, diagnosed after he separated from my mum and was admitted to a psych unit in Frankston Hospital and um, given electric shock treatment, uh, which triggered the motor neurone disease gene in him uh, and he ended up dying of motor neuron disease. Mm. So it's just... it's. Yeah, it's it's so. I mean, if you step out of it and look at it objectively, it's just so barbaric the way that we treat people who are different. And it's the it all comes for me. It comes back to the ego. I don't like that you are that way. You are different to me, so therefore I'm going to put you in a straight jacket or in a padded cell or I'm going to operate on your head yeah.
0: because
1: I think I'm right and I think you're wrong.
0: Yeah, and it's funny, like all of these, what I learned in this book, like all of these, you know, studies and all these things that were happening, they were being measured by, uh, you know, there was no the subjective experience of the person being treated was never taken into consideration. Like that no, wasn't even was a factor.
1: Observer.
0: Yeah, it's like how how sedated can I keep this person so they won't have episodes and that kind of thing. And you know the. But
1: it's fear. It's 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 fear. We are afraid of them having an episode. We are afraid of them being different. We are afraid of them, you know, talking about things that we don't understand. Yeah. So let's let's numb them and medicate them, which makes us feel better. It's no, it's got nothing to do with the patient. Inverted commas. It's, it's all about making us feel safe as a society. Let's make us feel better.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's why I think you know this. There were some places uh, that were help, helping schizophrenics by by community support. So there was no, you know, doctors or anything involved. Mm. There was just sort of um, very compassionate, empathetic people who would give them food, treat them nicely. And if if one of them, one of them in particular said, oh, the aliens are, you know, coming to pick me up at 2 p.m. on Thursday and I've got to be in this field at 2 p.m. Instead of putting them in a straitjacket, the person said, all right, I'll take you. And they went to the the field field and and they're like, and the guy was like, Oh, guess they're not coming today. All right. So his experience yeah. was validated, and all of a sudden he can start to unravel his own. Um, but you know, let, let's live
1: yeah. in their model for a minute, not try and fit them into our model. Let's let's work with them yeah. instead of against them. And it has. Like I had a client, and I think I spoke about her once, and she came in for some anxiety, and we're doing some hypnotherapy, and. All of a sudden, she started talking about being on a different planet, and her name was Zell or something. And you know, she just went completely into a different reality. And I just had to follow her, and I had to continue as a therapist working in her reality. And we popped out at the end of it, and she's like, Wow, that was that was interesting. I went, it certainly was. How you feel? She just feel great, good, okay. I didn't tell her that she was having a psychotic episode, or you know, I didn't. I just stayed present with her and guided her through whatever she was experiencing because who the fuck am I to say it was real or not real? Like it was her reality and that's
0: what Exactly, that's exactly. Her subjective reality, which is as real as everyone else's subjective reality.
1: When I, when I did that, um, the Happy Group, I created a 12-week program for people, for a, com- a local company in Mornington that their clients were long-term in the system. Uh, and I'll had uh, mental illness diagnosis. And I said to him, you know, just leave your labels at the door, just come in as people. Yeah. And we're, we're going to call this the happy group. It's not a mental illness group, it's the happy group. So every week they'd be start thinking, oh, I've got to go to the happy groups there. And so that would subconsciously start creating this picture. And you know, six weeks into it, this dude stood up and he, he had, you know, uh, bipolar and he was very angry and bitter and he, he just basically uh, in the most elegant way I'd seen, said what he'd learned through what I'd been teaching him over the last six weeks was he's in a lake he gets thrown out of the lake, down the river hits every rapid on the way down, ends up in another lake, just as he starts feeling comfortable and getting there, thrown out of that lake, down the river, hit every rock on the way down Ends up in another lake, and he's, this is this has been happening his whole life. He's he's fine. He said finally I've learnt that I can't control it. I can't change it. That is that is bipolar. That is that is the way my brain works. Yep. So he's going into an acceptance, and he's like, when I get tossed out of the river, I don't live in fear. I live in trust that I will come to another lake, and I'm learning to surf. And so, in in learning to self manage. in in those lucid times, you know, between the the mania, he's able, the impact of his mental illness um, isn't as severe on his mental health because he's, he's looking after his mental health. He's getting his mind in shape as best he can in those moments. So, you know, he's surrendered, he's embraced, he's accepted, he's not attached to a different outcome. He's not having an aversion to how his mind is operating. He's working with it instead of against it, and he said it's the best he's ever felt.
0: He's, uh, yeah, befriended it, befriended yeah, that part. That was,
1: but that was after six weeks. Like this dude has been yeah. in the system. He was 65. He'd been in the system since he was about a teenager. Yeah. And in six weeks, through just some ancient philosophy, he, you know, he he learns to embrace and accept. It's so good. Let go it's, and... it's
0: so good. It's like if we just had that framework. I think, um, you know, our friend Matt Runnels, who I've had on the show, talks about it. You know, he's diagnosed bipolar, and he said if I went in for that first first appointment and instead of being told you've got this disorder there's and there's something, something wrong with you something wrong with you and this is how we're gonna be we're gonna have to manage this for the rest of your life and medicate you He says, instead, if they had told me, and he has a whole list of people who live with bipolar who do amazing things in the world, if they had said, told me that, like what a different framework I would have had. It's like, whatever we we resist, persist, whatever we try and push away and not befriend is going to come. It's like, that's what I say with kind of anxiety. People try and push away their anxiety instead of saying it's feedback. And so it's Mm. a little tug of the shirt. And we're like, fuck off, fuck off. And then it's like pulling at the shirt harder. And we're like, fuck off and we keep doing that for years and it's banging us up the side of the head and we're just consumed by it because we're we're not willing to befriend and listen to it there's a one of my favorite ted talks which i'm going to watch it actually later today because i haven't watched it in in quite a while it's called eleanor longdon the voices in my head and i um i saw it all the way back when i was studying mental health and aod at tafe and, um, it was, it brought me to tears. It's beautiful. And so she, uh, at a certain age when she was, I think early teen, I can't remember, but she started getting voices in her head that would at first just narrate her life, but then start telling her to do stuff. And, um, she told one of her friends and the friends told her parents and then she went and got told, you know, how bad these voices are and you shouldn't listen to them. Mm. And from that point on the voices started uh, telling her to do really bad things. Mm. So, you know, at first it'd be like in school, go up and pour your drink over the teacher's head. And then it'd be, you know, start setting fire to things. And they got to a point where, um, all in their house, they had to change all of the cutlery to plastic because she would start trying to stab herself or other people because the voices were telling her for this. And she went through this for such a long, long time. And then all of a sudden, she came across a a therapist who had a very different view of it and said, "Let's try and understand these voices and what they're trying to tell us, as opposed to trying to medicate them and make them go away." And it's—I encourage everyone listening to, to to just search it on YouTube. And um, anyway, she um, found out that these voices in her head were coming from a place of of of, of kind of trying to look after her initially, because yeah. she'd been through some traumatic stuff early in her life. And but because she had this framework, that they were bad, bad, bad. That they, they started getting very evil, you know. And she she actually start, has a non for profit now called "The Voices in Our Head" or something of that nature, trying to teach people these things. And she says, "Now she goes, I still have that voice, but now it doesn't tell me to do bad things anymore. It's like you know, I can, I can, just I can a neighbor
1: walk, or something. It's, it's a, a neighbor,
0: housemate. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a housemate that I that I live with. And it's just if we can just get these initial and this is probably part of. Um, I hope. Um, the revamp of the mental health care system uh, in this country is that initial please. framework. Like, obviously, they're going to look at prevention as well, which is so important, but also this initial framework around a diagnosis, I think, is going to be so powerful in, in helping us as a nation. Uh,
1: uh, hopefully, the new framework has prehab and rehab. You know, that, that's prevention. So we, you know, in mind, we've got a reactive and a proactive program let's get you back in shape and then let's keep you in shape um, but imagine imagine walking into a clinician and they just uh, you know, I've got these voices in my head oh well right that's different you're different to the norm but there's nothing wrong with you you're just different you know you get out of that binary thinking all these clinicians it's so weird they're all using binary thinking you're good or bad you're right or wrong instead of which is a cognitive distortion. So these therapists are all in a distorted state, trying to treat people in suffering who need their help.
0: Because there's a so, book, there's a book of disorders. <laughs> there's a DSM, a book, yes. the, the Diagnostic and statistics manual. Or or it could be called direct source of money. Um, this giant <laughs> this giant, it's a giant book, and so it's like which which category do you fit in of disorders? Well, the disorder is something. There's something wrong with you. But automatically, by just saying there's a disorder, there's there's an underlying tone there's something wrong with you. you just, oh, so when I,
1: when clients come in and we talk about suffering, and and I say, you know, these are the the three amigos that create this you know, unruly kind of thinking, spaghetti brain, cognitive distortions, and then and they create these emotional disturbances, which we call suffering. Have you ever experienced guilt? Yes. Have you ever felt, you know, lived in fear, you know, anxiety? Yes. Have you ever felt stuck or hopeless? Yes. That's depression. Have you ever felt um, really frustrated, agitated, angry? Yes. Congratulations. You are a human being. Well done. Here's your T-shirt. <laughs> you know, and that's it's just... Just normalizing it so simply like that, Just you can see the relief wash through them. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm like, you don't need therapy. If you've been through trauma, you might need some healing. Yeah, okay, you're going to need some healing. But you you need educating, you need teaching, you need guiding. You don't need therapy per se. It's such a terrible system.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a relief to know that you're human because we think that you know, If we're not educated, then we think that no one else is going through these feelings that we're going through. And you realize that every other human being on the planet at some point is going through what you're going through. It but, is a relief. Then,
1: and, and then sticking back within the law of nature that everything is impermanent and the relief just deepens. Uh, oh, this isn't permanent. This isn't. No, it's actually going to ebb and flow. Sometimes you'll feel this. Sometimes you won't. But I always feel depressed. I'm going to challenge that belief. I, I'm going to call you out as being rather irrational right now. I always feel depressed. I always feel like no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you're in the shower and you can feel the hot water on you and it feels really nice. Do you feel depressed in the shower? Oh no, it's actually kind of nice. all All right. Yeah. So what about if you're
0: shoes. watching that? You were watching that comedy movie and you laughed at that mm-hmm. funny Will Ferrell bit. Were you depressed then? No. no, but then it, it conflicts with their story, so they're like, No, because they want to set the story wants to say yes. The story wants but that's to what lie.
1: we're doing. I'm just, I'm simply, I'm not, I don't tell clients what to do, I'm just a mirror reflecting to them what they're doing, and then I just simply ask, How's that working for you?
0: Yeah,
1: is that healthy? Is it sustainable? Is that aligned with how you'd like to be feeling? No, it's not. Great, well, let's change it. Oh, we can do it. Yes. And you don't need therapy. What? Can I get a mental health care plan to see you?
0: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's, what I That's one of my favorite lines too. You have a chat then you're like, how's that working for you? And they're like, mm. no, not very well. <laughs> yeah. How are those stories working? Uh, because a story, a, a story is like uh, anything else in existence. It wants to keep existing. So if I have a story like I am depressed all the time, that that little entity wants to keep existing, you know. So well, 96% a-
1: of what we're doing is subconscious. So you've got this subconscious program, your subconscious narrative, you know, 96% of the stuff that you do and think and you, know, you have no conscious awareness of. So if you've got a program that's operating within you that says I am always depressed, guess what you're going to manifest, guess what you're gonna try and be creating, guess what you're subconsciously gonna be working towards? Being always depressed. That that story narrative doesn't align with how you want to be, which is actually happy. Mm. So Yeah, it's not
0: it's not working for you. Change the story, change your life.
1: Oh man. All right, Ryan, uh, well I was- think we've blown enough brains for today
0: we have we have that was a good one mate really appreciate that and um possible uh guest on next week we'll see how that goes and um yeah all good mate what's on for you for the rest of the, the the day there uh, so
1: we at, at my new place we haven't had any fencing up, so the, the poor old dogs have been sort of living in the house and out on the balcony. Yep. Uh, but yeah, we've we've got temporary fencing while well, we're waiting for M to finish her permaculture course. Uh-huh. Um, well, let's chat about permaculture once in. The, the the philosophies of permaculture are amazing. So uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'd we'll love come to talk that about like that. that. Uh, so, she's going to use our backyard as a sort of like a blank canvas for her to create a permaculture environment. Um, so, I've put our um, landscaping plans on hold. So, we just stuck up some temporary fencing. So, now I have to go and clean the balcony um, and rid it of looking like two dogs have been living on it for, <laughs> for the last couple of months. All of those footprints. <laughs> yeah, well, footprints and. <laughs> Um, internal becoming external, fecal matter. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And you stay on top of it, and you clean it, but it's just you know you know it's there. So yeah. just I'm going to give it. A, I've got a, a pressure pressure washer. Pressure washer with a brush on it as well, and I'm just going to so, just go for it. dump a heap of organic cleaning products. lots of tea tree oil. Is going to go on the balcony, and then I'm
0: going to sh- smell it tree.
1: I'm literally going to scrub the shit
0: out of it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate. Pleasure as always, Nico. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next thanks, week. Thanks, listeners. Beauty. Peace out. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.